I'll be reading from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Now, dear, now during these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. And what they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. My brothers and sisters and beloved friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you bow with me for a moment? Gracious and holy God, Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. And Lord, may we be strengthened by the power of your Holy Spirit that we might be doers of your word and not hearers only. And we ask these things in Jesus' name that all may know and proclaim and believe that Jesus is Lord. And it's in for his sake we pray believing. Amen. I was excited to get to preach on the uh, passage in Acts. As I said last week on the passage in Exodus, it's not one that we tend to see in the lectionary. Uh, Acts, except for on Pentecost Sunday, of course, we read the Pentecost account. So I was excited about doing this, and especially during stewardship month. When I first started uh, to pastor churches, and that was in 2015, I'm a returning adult student. Uh, that's the politically correct term for old. I'm a late-in-life pastor. I was a licensed professional counselor for 25 to 30 years before I went to seminary. But one of my first statements during the covenant meetings, and that's when the pastor or the pastor that's been appointed goes to meet with the prospective church, that's the meeting, and uh, as Methodists do, usually it's uh, filled with food or some kind of goodies. But one of my first statements is, is that I hope you're not expecting a perfect pastor. Because if you are, then we probably need to go back to the bishop and the DS and the cabinet. But guess what? They don't have them either. They're not perfect. None of us are perfect, but we serve a perfect and risen Lord. Amen? And we're all together. Well, the church is filled with a bunch of people who love the Lord, who worship the risen Lord Jesus, but who are imperfect. I think sometimes we try to sanitize the Bible and make the characters in the Bible seem more perfect than they are, and with the exception of Jesus, no one is perfect. It's human nature 
church dynamics, church drama, if you will, or mess, to use another term, and conflict are not new. We see this today. Today we see that the church is growing very rapidly. If you turn back just four chapters, Acts chapter 2, that is the passage that we read at Pentecost. The Spirit came down like tongues of fire, and there were so many that were added, thousands and thousands, and the church was continuing to grow. That's a great problem to have, right? We want St. Matthew's. We want the body of Christ, the church universal, to grow and grow rapidly. We want to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's a great problem to have, but it does bring with it some logistical issues. And conflict inevitably arises. Well, in this instance, cultural differences threaten to split the young church along with the impossible task of the apostles, the twelve, you know, with Matthias, the one that replaced Judas, doing everything by themselves. The problem was that the Hellenistic Jews complained against the Hebraic Jews, saying that their widows were being slighted in the daily food distribution. And the Hellenistic Jews were those who were Greek-speaking. These were the Jews that were part of the diaspora, the persons from places where the Jews were exiled during the Babylonian invasion. Although it looked, it may have looked on the surface that these Jews, I'm sorry, these widows were being overlooked, this was unlikely unintentional. It was not intentional but it was due to a language barrier and also an inefficient system. How often is communication a problem, even between couples? You know, there's a job to be done and it doesn't get done, even when there's two people or maybe a family. Or if you've got a language barrier. I married somebody 35 years ago who... uh, As my daddy would say, he ain't from here. He's from Ohio, but he's been here almost 40 years, so he's assimilated, even has a little accent, likes cornbread and turnip greens and all that good stuff. Still hadn't got him to drink sweet tea, but oh well. But communication was an issue. So communication, the language barrier, was a problem here. Also, the 12 apostles trying to preach, teach, be in prayer, and meet the needs of every single widow every day in a rapidly growing body, you can see that was not an efficient way of getting everybody's needs met. As I was reading the scripture, you might have noticed that it seemed as if the apostles were saying that waiting tables was beneath them. That is the wording used in the NRSV, the, the translation I read, and the NIV, but what it meant was they didn't have time to do all of this. They weren't saying it was unimportant. In fact, throughout the Hebrew Scripture, what we call the Old Testament, God emphasizes caring for widows. God, through the prophets, says to take care of the widows. God condemned those who would oppress widows, orphans, those who were vulnerable. So God says taking care of widows 
meeting their needs was priority. Remember the story of Ruth, who gleaned freely from the fields belonging to Boaz, who later became her husband? So taking care of widows was extremely important uh, because widows had no other means of supporting themselves. There were no Pell Grants back in the day. There were no community colleges back in the day. They couldn't go and say, well, you know, my, I've lost my husband, so now I'm going to go back to work. If they had no grown adult sons, they had no one to take care of them, and they would be on the streets. So taking care of widows, young children with no fathers, was extremely, and still is, extremely important. So they came up with a plan. They said, we can't do this all by ourselves. We're, we're called to preach and teach the word of God and to pray. But somebody's got to meet these needs of the Hellenist widows and the Hebraic widows. So they selected seven men. And what were their qualifications? Did they have degrees in social work? No, of course not. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were wise. And the leader of them was the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Those were the qualifications. And this pleased everybody. So why do we serve? Why do we do it? Why do, do people agree to do children's moments? Work in Christ's cupboard. Sing in the choir. Lead worship. Set up coffee, donuts. Go and get those. Give money. Make blessing bags. You saw the, the screens and the many, many ministries. And many of you do a lot of those. Why do you do it? Beg your pardon? Yes, because Jesus is Lord. My friends, that'll preach every day and twice on Sunday, as the old folks say. Yes, because Jesus is Lord. God's command to care for the vulnerable hasn't changed. And along with the God's words in the Old Testament, we hear Jesus' words in the familiar passage, Matthew 25, 31 through 46, in which Jesus says to the sheep, Whatever you did for the least of these, you've done unto me. And then to the goats on his left hand, Whatever you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do unto me. When we serve others... When we serve other human beings created in the image of Almighty God, we serve our Lord Jesus. And you are so right because Jesus is Lord. The writer of James says in James chapter 1, verse 27, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted for the world. And later, he declares in chapter 2, 26, faith without works is dead. It doesn't get any plainer than that. Or as my mama would say, the proof is in the pudding. How do you know somebody loves Jesus? 
What did Jesus say? They'll know you're my disciples by their love. And when you say you love somebody, that love is not that mushy, gushy feeling. Those of us who've been married for a minute or those who've been, been parents, it's a verb. You put your faith in action. So faith without works is dead. The writer of James gives an example of telling somebody who's hungry and cold to go be warm and be filled. That's like us saying, well, oh, you're hungry? Oh, you're a widow and you don't have anyone to take care of? Oh, well, bless your heart. God bless you. We don't serve others, of course, in order to earn our salvation. Let me be very clear on that. Our works don't save us. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ. We aren't saved by our works, but we serve because we are believers. We serve out of love for and gratitude for God. God, the same God who became flesh in the form of a slave and served others. Jesus served others, including his enemies, including the one who ultimately betrayed him. We serve out of joyful obedience to God and our love for others. When I served small uh, rural churches, we didn't have a formal stewardship campaign or emphasis or stewardship month, but I would weave stewardship and giving throughout the year. I said, give and serve as if you're trying to outgive and outserve God. But knowing good and well that you can't, but when you think about it and reflect on it, God gave everything. Jesus. Jesus, who, though he said, I know I'm God. It's not robbery for me to think I'm God because I am, but I'm going to set that divinity on the back burner. I'm not going to stop being God. I'm still God, but I'm going to set it aside, and I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to come and dwell among men. I'm going to be born as a helpless baby to an unwed poor mother and I'm going to show people how to serve I'm going to serve the widows the orphans show people how to do that the outcast that no one likes I'm going to sit at the table with people that nobody else would sit at the table with and I'm going to be obedient even unto death on a cross so why do we serve we serve because Jesus is Lord. We serve a good God. We serve a wonderful Lord, Jesus, who is our model. There are plenty of opportunities to serve. And as our Elizabeth in our children's moment so beautifully expressed, we are chosen to serve. So today, I'm going to choose you.
or in Southern, all y'all. I'm going to choose all y'all because all y'all are gifted. And Christ is counting on us. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.